In this episode, we speak to school psychologist Rebecca Bransetter about the effect of the pandemic on mental health and learning in children, about not having to be a perfect parent, but a present parent, about how to partner with your school if your child is struggling, and one of the questions we get asked most commonly, school readiness. Welcome to Raising Wildlings, a podcast about parenting, alternative education, and stepping into the wilderness, however that looks, with your family. Each week, we'll be interviewing experts that truly inspire us to answer your parenting and education questions. We'll also be sharing stories from some incredible families that took the leap and are taking the road less travelled. We're your hosts, Vicky and Nikki from Wildlings Forest School. Pop in your headphones, settle in and join us on this next adventure. Hello and welcome to the Raising Wildlings podcast. I'm your host, Nikki Farrell. It's an understatement to say it's been a rough year across the globe and particularly rough on parents. With lockdowns, quarantines, working from home, schooling from home, financial and health concerns, it's a wonder there aren't more parents that have voluntarily placed themselves in an asylum for a well-earned break. So we thought it was a good time to get Rebecca Brandstetter in to chat to us about the effect of the pandemic on mental health and learning in children, how we can go about parenting from a place of calm and connection even in uncertain times how to partner with schools if your child is struggling academically, socially or emotionally. And for those parents who are still undecided whether their child is ready for school next year, we're going to talk about school readiness. Rebecca is a school psychologist, speaker and author on a mission to help children thrive by supporting school psychologists, educators and families. She's the founder of the Thriving School Psychologist Collective, an online community dedicated to improving mental health and learning supports in public schools, as well as a co-creator of the Make It Stick Parenting Course, which provides parents tools to build their child's social emotional learning and the Peace of Mind Parenting course to support parents during distance learning. So she is the right woman for today's questions. Before we start, don't forget to subscribe so you can get these parenting tips delivered straight to your favourite podcast player each week. And if you hear something that resonates, why not take a screenshot and send us your favourite quote from this episode so that we can share it on Instagram. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining us today and answering all our pandemic and mental health and school readiness questions. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, We were just having a a pre-chat before and uh, we were saying that do you want to talk a little bit about where you are pandemic-wise in the US? Well, I think we're on about day 220 of, um, it's not exactly shelter in place, but certainly social distancing. But um, we've had a lot of mixed messages from people up on high. So there's sort of half the schools are trying to reopen and half the schools are trying to shut it down. And a lot of them are starting and stopping. So there's a lot of disruption and a lot of up and downs here. Mm. So can you, as a school psychologist, where are you? Are you working in schools right now? I'm actually not working in schools right now. Um, Most of the work that I'm doing is over Zoom with students. And then I also train school psychologists. So I'm certainly um, very busy right now with helping school psychologists across the country navigate what it looks like to be a school psychologist in a pandemic. And what I'm seeing is a lot of need for virtual uh, social-emotional learning lessons and 
um, school-wide interventions versus one-on-one individual work. Certainly, that's still needed. But I'm serving in a consultative role with um, hundreds of school psychologists across the country, and we are putting our heads together and kind of building the plane as we're flying it, so to speak, in terms of trying to serve students remotely. It's really difficult. It's difficult to get the same connection, I feel, and it's absolutely better than nothing. But my goodness, I have friends who are prep teachers, which is the first year of school here that are trying to run Zoom classes with prep students. (laughs) Oh, it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Yes. And I am also living um, pandemic parenting life myself. Personally, I have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. So it's been very interesting to kind of take my own parenting advice (laughs) as I go along here because um, it is really challenging for the little ones in particular to focus all day on Zoom. It's, you know, rather developmentally inappropriate, but it's all we have right now. So we have to figure out ways to make the best of it. And I've been working really hard on trying to figure out strategies with my own child's teacher about how to engage my my six-year-old on a platform that's not really meant for six-year-olds. No, it's really not, is it? So let's talk about that. Can you talk to us a bit about the effect of the pandemic on mental health and learning in children? Absolutely. So as a school psychologist, you know, I'm, I've been at it for about 20 years. And what I've noticed is that the research shows that at Anxiety has been on the rise even before the pandemic in our children. So the statistic before the pandemic was, at least here in in the States, that one in five children have a mental health issue that keeps them from learning. One in five, right? Um, So now those numbers are only increasing as kids' um, academic lives and social lives have been interrupted and parent stress is high. And as we know, stress is contagious. So we have a lot of concerns right now about our children's mental health because there was already a rise in anxiety before the pandemic. I'm an ex-high school teacher and one of the reasons I left the system was because I felt helpless to a point about helping my teenagers access the things they needed to help them with their mental health because my focus as a teacher wasn't able to be on mental health and I really personally struggled with that. I found that really difficult to um, navigate. One other thing to note is that, you know, stressed minds can't learn. So, you know, as a teacher that you have to work with students' emotional health first. But if you're not trained as a teacher to do that, that's where you really, you know, have to kind of rely on school psychologists and other counselors and mental health professionals to help. Because when your child's or your student's brains are stressed, they don't have access to those higher order thinking skills. Their brains are offline. Their brains are in fight, flight, freeze in what's called brainstem. And that depletes their cognitive resources from the frontal lobe, which is where all that planning, reasoning, thinking, following through and attention is. So to tie back to distance learning, if you are a parent out there and your child is struggling with attention, you know, it may be worth kind of considering, well, what's their stress level like? Because, you know, if you've been stressed recently, you aren't at your peak cognitive performance. You're not able to really laser focus on something that's complex. So we have to really make sure that we're tending to our students' emotional needs first. How do we do that? Like you were mentioning before, that we need these whole school processes or initiatives. How do we go about that? 
Well, there's a number of, it's a multi-pronged approach. And from a school psychologist perspective, um, school psychologists are really adept at looking at data. And so we look at data across the school settings and we take data on how are our kids doing emotionally and socially. And we maybe look at kids who are, are struggling more so than other kids. And we kind of organize ways to rally around them. So there's school psychologists work at the individual level. If it's just very obvious that a child is struggling and they've been contacted to say, I need support working at the group level. Maybe there's, you know, a group of kids who are struggling or feeling disconnected or not logging on. And then looking sort of at the larger school and doing kind of more school-wide social emotional learning. Now for parents, there's a lot of things that we can do right now, actually, that can help protect our kids and buffer them against stress. Hit us with all of the things. All the please. things. Okay. And I have a cute acronym too. So how about that? Amazing. Yes, please. <laughs> you got to have a cute acronym in education. It's kind of a rule. So I've been talking since the beginning of this pandemic about the ABCs, <laughs> the ABCs of distance learning and parenting in a pandemic. So the A stands for attention. So attention seeking sometimes. You're a mom and you have kids at home and do they ever interrupt you while you're trying to work from home? Gosh, no, I have angels. <laughs> right. So a lot of parents are finding themselves working from home and also toggling between trying to give their child their full attention, trying to give their work their full attention and doing neither of them very well. I said to myself, listen, like being a school psychologist and being a mom and being a teacher's aide are all three very different jobs that you can't do 100%. So when you see your child kind of uh, pulling on you for attention, particularly the little ones, constantly knocking, even though you have a little sticker up that says mommy is on a podcast or whatever, um, if they are constantly trying to seek your attention, what I invite parents to do is think of attention-seeking as connection-seeking. It really shifts the lens how you respond. If you think your kid's just pulling on your attention and they're attention-seeking, you might respond with being annoyed. Like, oh, why do they keep bothering me? Like, why can't they work independently? But if you frame it up as, you know, not attention-seeking, but connection-seeking, it really shifts the lens and you can give them that love and connection in that moment. And then they are more likely to, you know, be able to move on and be independent. So taking those moments where they're seeking your attention and turning into opportunities for connection. Mm, that's beautiful. And so now the, the second one is B, <laughs> which is behavior. And if your child had behavioral challenges before the pandemic, it's likely that those are magnified. If they had a little bit of a challenge with following directions, it may be a big old challenge with following directions, right? Um, if they had little tantrums, they may now be big tantrums, and that can be a sign of stress. So another thing that I invite parents to do is think of behavior as communication. What are they trying to tell you with their behavior? What unmet need do they have? Ooh, that's the thing, isn't it? That's the one right there. 
Yeah, because if you think about it, they're communicating in the way that they know how. If they could communicate in a polite and you know articulate way, they probably would, <laughs> right? What what motivation would they have to get mom mad at them or dad mad at them? Their behavior is communicating something, and this is something where you know I'm constantly talking about the connection between parents and kids, and there's a connection about stress too. So if your child's behavior is stressing you out. I want you to think of this. Sometimes we think of our kids acting out as giving us a hard time, right? Oh God, they're giving me a hard time. Like for me and my household, it's just like, if I have to say, get your jammies on one more time, my head is going to explode, right? So I can, it's the end of the day and I'm tired and they're tired and the jammies are not going on. And I can sometimes feel like, oh, they're giving me a hard time. The lens shift that I invite parents listening to do is when you think they are giving me a hard time, shift it to they are having a hard time. Gosh, language is just, isn't it? That sleight of hand just instantly reframes it. It does, because if they're having a hard time following directions, there's a lagging skill that can be taught. And the language makes a lot of difference. If you come in with, seriously, for the love of all that's holy, get your jammies on, (laughs) and you're getting escalated, stress is contagious, and they will get stressed. They will, that's shooting them right into brainstem, right into fight, flight, freeze. I invite parents to sometimes ask a question, because that goes to frontal lobe instead of brainstem, which is stress. If you respond with a stress response, they're stressed, and it's a big ball of stress. If you respond with, and this is my favorite, write it down all, everybody, <laughs> whatever the problem is, this is my fan favorite. It works every time, not every time. It works more times than I can even like, believe. And I ask, what is your getting on your jammy plan? Ooh. And they think, and they're like, wait, what the heck is my jammy plan? Like, It gets them out of that stress ball reaction where mom's telling me to do something I don't want to do. And they're like, oh, I'm going to do it after I play with my duck or whatever it is that they need to do. And then you say, great plan. And then you come back and say, all right, looks like you're done playing with your duck. So let's do that jammy plan. It just changes the tone, right? So it's, it's framing up behaviors, communication, and then being careful with your language and sometimes leaning in with a question and, and tone matters. (laughs) I was just talking to my husband um, about like, we need to try to keep calm when we're stressed and it's really, really hard. And so what I've been doing is I channel my inner Mr. Rogers. Now, do you all have Mr. Rogers? Like, you see, yeah, like, it's, it's funny, we don't, but we all know who he an is. An international it's icon. So, okay. So his voice tone and the cartoon version here is called Daniel Tiger, which there's Daniel Tiger's mom and dad. So sometimes I channel my inner Daniel Tiger mom and I say, wow, I noticed that your jammies aren't on. And it's such a different tone to come into. <laughs> and it, it really does help. And sometimes it helps me. Um, another sort of a go-to for me is um, a one for me, one for you breath. So when your child is having a hard time, (laughs) (laughs) I, um, I put my hand on my heart, my hand on my stomach and I take a deep breath and that one's for me. (sighs) Wow. I'm having a hard time. And then I do one for my child. 
wow, she is having a hard time. And that's powerful. We all calm down. In fact, when they see me put my hand on their heart, they like look to me like, oh gosh, oh, she's not all right. It's a visual clue. <laughs> but it does help bring any kind of, um, it kind of puts, uh, how should I say this, water on a fire mm. instead of gasoline. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. And what a beautiful role model for teaching them how to self-regulate as well. Absolutely. They can start to take those calming breaths as well. And you can model for kids. That's something that's sort of a very interesting sort of positive out of this pandemic is that we have an opportunity to teach our kids how to cope with stress. And kids aren't by watching us though, not so much by what we say, but by what we do uh, for, for good, bad or ugly, right? So if you can model that for them, you're spot on. That's one way to really support them and help them learn lifetime skills for managing their own stress, taking a break. Mama's going to take a break right now because I'm feeling so, so stressed. I'm going to go pet our quarantine puppy. (laughs) (laughs) Name is Gryffindor. We're big Harry Potter fans. I'm going to go pet Griffy, take some calming breaths, and then I'll come back and we'll talk about your jammy plan. I hope we'll be done by the time I'm back. I mean, which I'm assuming will be done by the time we're back. Yes, sorry for <laughs> Daniel Tiger mom voice. I, I don't know what her name is, Mrs. Tiger. Anyway, yes, you got it. You nailed it. So the last thing that I wanted to share on your ABCs, A, is attention-seeking is connection-seeking. B is behavior is communication. And C, and this one is the drum that I've been banging since March 13th. <laughs> It's my greatest hit. Um, You might have heard it. Um, It's called Connection is Protection. The research on what buffers kids in stress and prevents them from having trauma, prevents any kind of anxiety and depression and kind of resulting factor from a trauma is connection with a positive supportive adult. So Connection is protection. We can be that buffering force of stress. So when your kid's stressed out because they, you know, prom was canceled. We have prom here, which is the big old dance for seniors um, in high school. Or when your six-year-old birthday party is canceled. Or when you hate Zoom and you want to be back at school. And we can't solve those problems always as parents. We can't, right? We can't problem solve, but we can process. Yes. And that connection will protect your child from stress. And there's so many opportunities for connection. One of the very interesting side effects of as the pandemic is that I've really gotten to know my family well. <laughs> yeah. it, it, and, I, and like you said, it's a, double, a double-edged sword someday. Yeah. One of the most beautiful things is I've gotten to know my family so much more deeply. Right. And I've you know, I've been able to experience things that I wouldn't be able to experience had they been at school. And here's sort of a funny example. Um, not at the time. <laughs> so as a school psychologist here in the States, we have a significant shortage and the ratio is very, very high. So it's supposed to be about one to 500 and it's about one to 1400 caseloads. So one school psychologist for 1400 kids. Okay. So it's very high and I don't know what it's like in Australia. Yeah, I'd be about the same, yeah. I would say. So it's stretched really, really thin. So I've been on my, you know, one woman campaign to <laughs> let the world know what school psychologists do. And I landed this television interview um, with a news agency. And I was so excited. I was going to be on this and I prepped everyone and mommy's on this thing. And it's really important, honey. And you know where the story's going. 
my my, oh, my belly's already just literally the second the zoom started for me to look professional about talking about school psychologist's life my my eldest knocks on the door comes in with a bloody mouth <laughs> and i was like oh my gosh what happened and she had lost a tooth um, but she was so excited about losing her tooth. And it was like a moment. Thankfully, we were able to pause the interview. Like it was one of those things where I wasn't live and she like came in with a bloody mouth. Um, but, you know, we cleaned it up and washed it out. And I could see how excited she was about losing her tooth. And I was like, well, I would have missed that had she been at school. Right. Um, or during breaks. We have been taken to um, movement breaks because, you know, sitting is the new smoking, right? And they say, and for kids, sitting all day is not great. So we found a YouTube channel called Go Noodle. Um, Oh, I haven't heard that one. Go Noodle has these little three-minute videos where you can do various things like jump over a pickle with a moose or dance with Elsa or, you know, spin around with Sonic the Hedgehog all of these really cute little tiny clips where you can do dance breaks. And so we've been doing these dance breaks on Go Noodle. And again, it's that connection piece of it. It helps me break from my inbox, adult recess, pass it on. But it also helps your kids and you connect. And I'm really, you know, parents out there who are listening, if you feel like some of my friends and how I felt at various points in the pandemic were like, wow, my kids are going to remember me yelling at them to stay on Zoom or, you know, (laughs) yelling at them to get their jammies on. I don't want that. I want them to remember these moments of connection when we went in our neighborhood and did a scavenger hunt, when we, you know, played tag in the backyard with the puppy, and when we did go noodle and jumped over a pickle with a moose, right? So you can take these tiny moments and just bank them as connection and that connection protects our children from mental health challenges. And they don't need to be big connection moments, do they? And like you said, getting to know the children best, I've found for my youngest, his love language is touch. So it's a, a ruffle of the head. It's a butterfly kiss with the eyelashes. It's a, it's a cuddle break for no reason. And that's, that's what fills his cup. And, you know, for my eldest, it's, it's playing board games and it's really simple things, but I've got the time to do them magically. <laughs> exactly. Cooking projects with dad, you know, have been really fun for the, for my girls. So just to, I invite you to think of, and like you said, it doesn't have to be a, a big, long drawn out thing. It can be a five, 10 minute activity and just a little one-on-one time with one of your kiddos. And that can be really protective. And, you know, then they also won't be connection seeking at other moments, like when you're about to try to be fancy on the news <laughs> or have a nice Zoom call with your boss or finish up something, right? It's putting that connection in the bank. It's exactly before I jumped on with you, before like they hear I've got this big, heavy, noisy door to shut to my office and the door started rolling and I hear this thump, 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 thump. And my youngest came in and he said, I just need a quick cuddle. So he knows that he needs that connection too. So we had a kiss and a cuddle and a butterfly kiss and a fist pump. And then he, if he closes the door, I think it feels like he's empowered to close the door and he's said goodbye and it's okay. So it's it's those little things, like you said. I'm going to shoot myself in the foot here. No doubt he'll come in and budge in any minute now. But for now, it's working. <laughs> and I think also what's important to know about, you know, I don't know, you know, where Australia lands right now with um, distance learning. If kids are going to be doing mostly um, at-home learning or a little bit of a hybrid is kind of what's happening here. But, 
you know, if you think about um, connection with you know adults, think about the connection with your child, your child's teacher. So, one of the things that was really helpful and really moved the needle for my youngest when she was not engaged on Zoom and she was really struggling was having some extra opportunities for engagement with her teacher because kids tend to be more motivated, engaged with teachers who they know, like, and trust. And Mm -hmm. this particular teacher, she's lovely, but my, my daughter didn't know her, never met her in person. And oh gosh, I hadn't thought about that, that you hadn't met your teacher. Right. And so you're thinking about that and you're thinking about, for my daughter's from her six-year-old brain, it's just like someone on YouTube. You know, she doesn't know her. Yeah. What she, can she see me? I don't know. <laughs> like, it's an, it was not it was not a great bond, and it's really actually possible to form bonds on Zoom, believe it or not. So you know, bless this teacher's heart. She had a meeting with me and my husband, and we were saying, you know, we have some concerns. She's you know, our daughter's really disengaged and I think would help if she got to know you a little bit. And I know it's really hard when you have like, you know, 20 kids in a little square box, but is there an opportunity maybe just to like, you know, do a little breakout room with her on Zoom a couple, you know, mornings or afternoons? And she said, yes, absolutely. And so all it took, honestly, to get my little one back on track for paying attention and following through and doing her work more independently was the teacher having these little breakout rooms and she's like, Oh, what's your favorite animal? And, you know, she found out that my little one is obsessed with ducks, which I don't know where it came from, but fine. <laughs> you know, our kids all have that thing. What's your kid's thing? You know, uh, yeah. D- dinosaurs and jaguars. Sure. Right. <laughs> and so she then started infusing ducks in the curriculum she's like and so now we're reading a story about farms and oh it doesn't doesn't you know your daughter she loves don't you love um ducks right Mm. and she started to feel that connection and within two weeks she went from like you know going to the bathroom every you know 20 seconds and I put going to the bathroom you can't see my air quotes um (laughs) to engaging with her teacher so that connection was protection with the teacher as well so if you're a parent out there and your kids doing this distance or hybrid learning and you're finding them disengaged, it may not even be an attention issue. It may be a social emotional connection issue. Our number one need as humans is to connect, feel safe, feel like we belong. And that should be the first layer for all learning. Preach it. Honestly, I often say it with my friends. If, if your child's not getting along with the teacher, th- then that's where you need to start. It's not actually about, like you said, it's not your child's attention seeking behaviors. It's not the work. It's that relationship that you need to patch and fix and work on because nothing is going to get done if they don't feel safe, secured and loved. Exactly. So let's talk about how we go about parenting from, you know, say this place of calm and connection in uncertain times. Yes. And this is actually one of my, um, my soapbox issues. So I'm going to get on my my virtual (laughs) soapbox. Here we are. Um, So at the beginning of the pandemic, I, you know, was prepared. I had my calming menu of sensory breaks on the fridge and the, you know, schedule. And I had my school psychologist hat on where I was like, this is going to go great. <laughs> everything is going to go to plan. <laughs> right. I have everything, you know, sorted out and, you know, we're going to, it's going to just, you know, unfold. And we had morning check-ins and we had evening checkouts and seeing problem solving how things were going. And for a while that worked pretty darn well. And then everyone hit a wall on the same exact day. 
Literally everyone melted down. Unfortunately, one of my friends passed away and I had a Zoom memorial, which I'd never had in my whole life. We went to the store together and I was driving and and I should not have been driving. And I hit a car and and did $3,000 worth of damage. And I, on the way home, was like yelling at my kids. Like even school psychologists with PhDs from Berkeley yell at their kids, y'all. <laughs> happens. They're old humans. And the reason, their violation, they were being children. Like they were singing and I wasn't having it. And I just went home and I curled up under my bed and I pulled the covers over my head. And it's like, I can't adult right now. Just, you know, I told my husband, I'm like, You're, you got to adult for me for just like, I need to reboot. And so... Interestingly, in that same sort of moment, I was asked to do an online parenting course (laughs) for parenting in a pandemic. And through this wonderful place called Commune, which is, you know, an online wellness company. And they asked, you know, would you please talk about parenting in a pandemic? A lot of parents are stressed. I'm like, oh, yes, I'm raising my hand for that, too. And so I looked at all of the parenting knowledge I had And I kind of looked at what I know about child development and I put together some of the things that were like the essence for this parenting course. It's called peace of mind parenting, the essence of what parents needed in this moment. And you know what it is? No, I really don't. (laughs) It's self-compassion. Now, I I have to make a distinction between self-care and self-compassion. Okay. Yes. Self-care is something that you kind of do off the job as a parent. It's that Mm -hmm. bubble bath at the end of the day or your chocolates or, you know, escaping into Netflix or whatever it is that you like to do, you know, going to play, you know, tennis or walks, whatever it is. That's a behavior. Self-care is important behavior, but there is no bubble bath in the world relaxing enough to escape. If you're sitting in there beating yourself up, Mm, you can be doing self-care and not being self-compassionate. So so the formula for success is to give yourself the same grace you would give a best friend. Look, if you came here and told me like I yelled at my kids and I was, you know, really stressed and they didn't finish their math homework and, you know, the teacher's on me because they're not focused, you know, what would I tell you? I would have all the loving wonderful things to say to you as a friend. Don't worry about it. The pandemic. Yes. And I myself might say, well, oh gosh, I should have, you know, done this, that, or the other, right? So self-care is important. Self-compassion is essential. And there's three components. The first is a mindfulness, like just be aware. I'm in a moment of suffering. I am struggling. I am stressed, right? That awareness first. The second is the common humanity. Everybody is stressed. Everyone gets stressed. Everyone, you know, snaps at their kids. Everyone is struggling. You're not alone. And then the third is what advice would you give a best friend right now? Now do that for yourself. Yes. And that really shifts the lens from the self-care behaviors, which are nice, but to grace. And here's some that you can take away with you. Something that I've been, you know, putting out there that's really helped me. And I put out in this parenting course I did with commune as well, which is when you find yourself beating yourself up for something, add the phrase in a global pandemic to the end of it. <laughs> My yeah. house looks disgusting right now in a global <laughs> pandemic, <laughs> right? My kids are not doing their best work 
in the reading comprehension activity in a global pandemic, <laughs> right? This ad oh. in a global pandemic. I snapped at my kids because they wouldn't put on their jammies in a global pandemic. Those are the types of softening self-care that parents really need to hear right now. And we're our own worst critics. Oh, aren't we? If we talk to our friends like we talk to ourselves, we would have no friends. (laughs) No, no, we would be lonely souls. (laughs) Lonely souls. So I invite you, and I don't know if this is an American thing, but there's this joke where like when you get a fortune cookie at the end, you just add in bed (laughs) to make it funny. (laughs) So this is sort of like that, but not. Just add in global pandemic to the end of it. Whatever you are saying to yourself that's not kind, just in a global pandemic. I just love that, yes, there's that self-compassion, but there's that sense of humour in it too. Like you can't not laugh about that situation because, A, it's true, but, B, you've just got to throw your hands up. It's, you know, I'm doing the best I can. Absolutely. Perfectly imperfect. Absolutely. And, (laughs) you know, it's also modelling for your kids because they will then learn to be self-compassionate and not self-critical because they see you doing it. And this is something that feels weird for parents, but I invite you to do anyway which is to verbalize your inner monologue sometimes out loud. Mm. Oh my goodness. I am so stressed right now. I really am not focusing well. I went to the store to get all the ingredients and I forgot one thing and now I can't make my recipe and I am so, so disappointed. Ah, Mm. you know, I'm going to go ahead and just take a deep breath and I'm going to think about the good things. The good thing is I have some leftover soup and we can have that and we'll have this tomorrow, right? I mean, it sounds silly. This is all the stuff we do underground as adults. When you bring it above ground, you're actually going to be teaching your kids social emotional coping skills. Oh, it's so true. I swear that's why where I get my, what it is, I know it's where I get my own self-compassion as a parent from is my parents modeling that for me and, and modeling the, the logical process of how to self-regulate as well. So thank you to my mom and dad for showcasing that so beautifully because it's it's all three of us are able to do that really well have great self-compassion right and if you don't have didn't have parents who modeled that for you this is a gift you can give your kids so by helping yourself become more self-compassionate you're going to give your kids that gift and that's a gift that'll go long long beyond the pandemic Oh, won't it? Gen- breaking those generational cycles is ugh, the toughest of work but th- the most rewarding of work absolutely so let's move on to then, so we, we're, we're now calm parents, <laughs> all just perfectly, perfectly imperfect. How do we then partner with the school if our child's struggling academically or socially, emotionally? What's the best way to go about this? Well, and I hope this isn't just regionally specific advice, but here in the States, one thing that we do is we have school psychologists and we also have school counselors and other mental health professionals. Um, but really the first line is to talk to the teacher. And um, you can just have express your concerns. Look, when I told my daughter's teacher what was going on behind the scenes, she had no idea. She had no idea that my normally very flexible kiddo was melting down when I presented her a dinner that she wanted, right? She had regressed to an earlier kind of more toddler phase, even though she was young, older, because she was stressed. So loop the teacher in, just say, here's what I'm observing. Let's put our heads together and see what we can do. And a lot of it might be around like, you know, increasing engagement by increasing connection, what opportunities are there. But if your child has more, you know, 
specialized needs. Uh, a lot of students, school psychologists here work with kids with learning differences, dyslexia, ADHD, autism spectrum disorders, all of those range of disabilities that make it extra hard. We invite you know parents to loop in the school psychologist because they're really learning experts. Their job is to help understand how your kid learns, what's getting in the way, and how do you help. And they have a wealth of knowledge. They can be wonderful thought partners. So if your school has a mental health professional, invite them to say, can we have a put our heads together, teacher and the counselor or school psychologist and the parents, just to kind of share out what we're observing and how have you helped other students who have similar challenges I'm telling you, it can be a game changer to communicate with the school in a collaborative way. I can 100% uh, validate this as, as a high school teacher that when I was struggling with how to either connect with students or help them through a learning difficulty, the best thing I ever did was speak to the school counsellor or the guidance counsellor, whoever that I had access to, because your toolkits are incredible. And we don't get those toolkits in our degrees, which is an absolute shame. And that's something I would like to see changed in our college and universities. But, oh, my goodness, your toolkits are incredible. And I've turned to councils over and over again with huge success. So, yes, totally agree. <laughs> Moving off from the pandemic, we are getting lots of emails and lots of questions online about school readiness. What are some of the red flags that your child may benefit from a delayed entry? So that's a very complicated question, and it really probably could be a whole podcast, but let me just kind of talk about this. So I would say that parent intuition is really important. You know your child better than anyone. And again, I would invite a dialogue. There's often not a right way to do things. There's pros and cons. Holding your child back from, I believe you call it prep. We call it, yes, yes we call it kindergarten, but prep the year before year one you know, has pros and cons and sending them on has pros and cons. And I have a child who's on that cusp too. So my child started what we call kindergarten when she was four. Mm -hmm. And then the next day kindergarten started and she was five. <laughs> so it was definitely a cusp thing. And so the factors you want to consider are academic readiness and then also mm -hmm. social, emotional readiness and behavioral readiness. and you know, for my own daughter, I knew her really well, and she was academically very ready. And I weighed that with the fact that she would probably be very bored with another year of what we call preschool. And so we elected to put her through. So now she's the youngest in our class every year. And that has pros and cons with it as well. So really, I think there's there's not a right way to do it. And it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, you don't need to be a perfect parent and make the perfect decision. You need to make the best decision you have at the time with the information you have. Yes. And talk to your child's teacher and say, look, this is what I'm observing. My child is, you know, able to decode small words and is very academically strong, but still has challenges with sharing or whatever it happens to be. Um, or my kid is really socially advanced, but academically they really have struggles. And I'll never forget what my uh, daughter's kindergarten teacher said, which is the year before year one here at orientation. She said, wherever your kid is, is where they should be. And we will start where they are 
and help boost them. There's no one place they should be right now. They're exactly where they should be because every kid develops differently. And that was really comforting to me as a parent, that teacher who said that wherever your kid is, is where they should be. And it kind of spoke to, you know, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but here, you know, it seems like the academic curricula is getting pushed down younger and younger and younger. And I'm just waiting for algebra standards to be on my child's like third grade um, (laughs) report card. There's really a lot. It's some of it's developmentally inappropriate and it's what we have to deal with. So make the best decision you have under the circumstances. And honestly, in terms of school readiness, the research shows that it's less about academics and it's more about social skills, more about soft skills like Can they wait their turn? Can they follow a a two-step direction? Can they, you know, find the restroom independently? Can they pick up their belongings? Can they see the viewpoints of others? Can they have empathy? You know, those skills actually are way more critical for learning at that early age than reading, writing, and math. So I would, if you're looking towards, you know, school entry soon as a parent, I would look towards boosting social emotional skills with your child. First and foremost, all the things you're doing at home can be helpful for school. So things like we talked earlier about what's your pajama plan. Well, guess what? That teaches planning skills. So it's a double down. You can teach patience in the kitchen, right? By saying like, we're going to make cookies together. And if your kid just throws all the ingredients in without like following step by step, but they're going to turn all messed up, right? So, <laughs> you know, do some very simple recipes with your kids, like Jello or something that's like two ingredients and three steps. <laughs> You're not testing your own patience. <laughs> and then, you know, those stop and think skills are really important for young ones. Um, when you're reading literature with your kiddo at night, Um, How do you think Curious George is feeling right now? Just even asking little questions can boost social, emotional, empathy skills. There's a lot parents can do. And I would advise parents to focus more on social, emotional learning as a school readiness tool than academics. Because like I said, stressed out kids can't learn. And if we're stressing about them learning, then that's contagious. Yeah. And look, teachers are fantastic at teaching academics. That's what we're taught to do. So the more you can focus on the social and emotional well-being at home, I think the better they'll be prepared for life and school. Absolutely. All right. Are you ready for some rapid fire questions? I am ready. And I looked at some rapid fire questions before from previous podcasts you've done, and I've forgotten them all. So this is going to be very off the cuff. Let's let's do it. The lightning round. Good. They're actually my favorite. I love it when we catch people like this because it's just, it's authentic. There's no thought in it. It's just what, yeah, intuition. All right. This is a two-prong one. It's either your favorite book of all time or what are you currently reading? Oh my goodness. All right. So I'm currently reading Curious George Goes to the Laundromat. (laughs) Oh, yes. Perfect. Um, I'm actually rereading and re-enjoying all of the Harry Potter series with my kids. Yes, all of the Harry Potter. I read them as a young adult, and now I'm like diving in with my um, my girls, and I still love them. Uh, I'm dying to do this with my eldest, but he watched the movie probably a little bit too early, got a little bit frightened. It's like mm, I don't think I want to read them yet, so I'm devastated. I've shot myself in the foot. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, where do you go to reset after a tough day at work or parenting? And I'm going to add a second one there because um, our audience may not know that you uh, lived in Australia for quite a while. Where is your favourite place in Australia as well? Oh, my goodness. I just had the pleasure of going to um, the motherland <laughs> um, last Christmas holiday in Sydney. And I have to tell you that I have, you know, the research on positive uh, emotions and the science of happiness, one of the things that really triggers happiness is the sense of awe. And I'm telling you, Bondi Beach, those waves were so beautiful. I could have sat there for ages and just watched them. It was just stunning. So when I win the lotto, (laughs) (laughs) I I will get my my house on the hills in in Bondi Beach. It's just exquisite. So beautiful. And the Concorde jet to get you there in an hour. (laughs) Because that jet lag is nasty. (laughs) Uh, All right. What one thing would you change in our education system? Prevention, prevention, prevention. Oh my goodness. Where'd my soapbox go? Oh, there it is. There it is. I'm holding it up. (laughs) Let me tell you a lot of children's struggles can be prevented with targeted early intervention. Struggling readers, we know how to help struggling readers. Kids who show mild worries, we know how to prevent anxiety. We have so many tools as mental health professionals, and yet we sometimes wait just because of, it's almost like psychological triage, right? We have to work with the ones in the most crisis. And that, why do we do that? You know, it's sort of like, I've I've said this analogy before, and it's not exactly correct, but it's sort of like if if school psychologists were dentists, (laughs) Like we would be like, no toothbrushes, no instruction about hygiene. We're just going to wait till all the kids get root canals and we're going to spend a lot of time on that. Yes. Yeah. And you know, part of the reason, at least here in the States is because school psychologists are stretched so, so thin and we have to tend to those kids who are most in crisis. And then if we get to it, we can do some prevention and we need to flip that. We need to spend most of our time, I'd say 80% of our time on primary prevention, things that prevent learning and emotional challenges. And then we can spend time with kids who don't respond to that. But I think that it starts with advocating for smaller caseloads, because if you have, and many school psychologists I work with have 3000 kids on their caseloads, of course, you can only tend to the kids who are the most in crisis and don't have time to do, you know, those great primary prevention programs, the toothbrushes of mental health. (laughs) So yes, that's what I would do. Uh, I'm I'm here for it and I'll sign any petition you send my way. (laughs) All right. And last of all, where can we find you, Rebecca? You can find me on my website and I do hope you have show notes because my last name is not intuitive to spell. I inherited it from my husband. (laughs) I spelt it wrong on um, Zencaster, our podcasting. I noticed as soon as I opened it up, I went, oh my goodness. All right. So check the show notes. But Rebecca brandstetter.com. And one of the things I want to invite parents to do when they go to that website is if you scroll to the bottom of the homepage, there is a 25 tips for self-care for parents during the pandemic. And it has some of my favorite mantras that I tell myself to keep calm and parent on. And it has 25 instant reboots that you can do in those challenging parenting moments. They do not take long and they really help because when we are in a calm place, 
we are better parents for our kiddos. So you can go to BeccaBrandstetter.com and um, pop in your email and you can get the download of the 25 self-care practices. And then my favorite mantras that I've been telling myself since the beginning of the pandemic that has really helped me stay connected with my children and parent from a place of presence, not perfection. Oh, I love that. I'm going to go and print that and laminate it. And I'm also going to put it, pop a little note on my fridge that says, in a global pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I personally got so much out of that. Your tips and tricks are simple and clear and just doable. And also that reminder that we're doing our best and enough is enough and being present is is the best thing that we can do, forming those connections. So thank you so much. We'll pop your website in the show notes and the links to all of your social media uh, links as well. But I hope, fingers crossed, that the transition over for your president goes smoothly and that you're back in schools and doing what you're, you're best doing very soon. Yes, you and me both. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fantastic. And thank you for all the listeners out there. I I really appreciate you spending time with, with us today and for having me on this. I'm very honored. Wow. I don't know about you, but I found that chat with Rebecca so reassuring and cathartic. Sometimes we just need someone to remind us that doing the best we can is enough, particularly in times of crisis. So today, if you got nothing else from this episode, though I know personally I love the tips about school readiness and how to chat to your school counsellor, then I hope the message that you are doing your best and that that is enough helps you today. Before we go, if you'd like a little inspiration to get your family outside, head to wildlingsforestschool.com forward slash free dash downloadables to get our free nature scavenger hunt printable. It's an adorable little hunt that will have your children outdoors for hours, which, as we all know, is the easiest way to parent. Until next week, stay wild. Stay wild.